You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hey, hey, everybody. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. I am back. First Monday show in quite a while for numerous reasons, but I, I have returned. Very happy to be here. Uh, my guest tonight, uh, drummer extraordinaire from Nashville, Mr. Graham Beckler, calling in. Graham, how are you? Hey, Alex. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, jumping right into it, we always start off these interviews with the exact same question, and that question is, where were you born? Uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, and... Yeah. T- t- tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up and what were you into and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in uh, Northville, Michigan, which is sort of a suburb of Detroit. <clears throat> um, yeah, I grew up there. I was born and raised there most of my life. Um, just super into music as a kid. Um, played in church a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of your typical childhood was a little bit reckless played you know, did skateboarding and hurt myself a lot and uh you know stupid pranks with my friends and um pretty, yeah pretty much idyllic pretty, pretty suburbia normal. then huh oh yeah <clears throat> uh yeah. What, what did your parents do for a living uh so my dad is a teacher um and he's also a musician uh he teaches vocal music um and does like accompaniment stuff. He's a amazing piano player. And, uh, my mom is also a singer. Um, so sometimes they'll do things together at church and things like that. Um, but she also does like some interior design stuff and is an artist as well. She does, um, like rug hooking stuff and kind of like traditional American folk, uh, art and that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, what, what kind of a student were you? Oh man, a uh, very sleepy student. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was a night owl. I've always been a night owl. I still am a night owl. So like even like middle school and high school, I would be up until, you know, 11 PM, one in the morning, something like that, hanging out with friends or writing music or just listening to music and then have to be at school at seven in the morning, you know? So it was, just always asleep most of the first two or three hours of, of school. But other than that, um, I was, okay. I was all right. I did all right. Pretty average, uh, exceeded in the musical, uh, classes that I had. Um, so I had that going for me, but. Okay. So when you were awake, yeah. it sounds like you were pretty, pretty decent student then. Yeah, you, you could say decent. Uh, well, my next question is, uh, how old were you when you were, got, first got interested in music? But it sounds like you were interested right from the get-go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely, like, as long as, you know, as far back as I can remember being very interested in music. But I do remember, like, gosh, probably I was I was maybe, like, 10 years old or something. My, my brother had – this is back when Napster was – a thing. Um, my older brother, Madison had downloaded, uh, a copy of Coldplay's first album parachutes. And I remember borrowing that from him and playing it in my little Sony Walkman and just thinking like, this music is literally taking me to another planet. Like it, it just absolutely, uh, entranced me it was like my imagination just ran wild when i was listening to it it's just like playing music videos that didn't exist and you know just it was incredible so that was kind of the first record where i was like okay this is really tapping into something special and like deep within me and i would love to just try my hand at creating that okay well why do you think it was it was cold play specifically do you, do you have some theory as to why that record at that time spoke to you in that way um, I think maybe it was, it was, I had never heard anything like that. Um, and you know, they're, they're British. So they're like, there's already a lot of mysteries sort of in and of itself, you know, like this band from 
another country that's just like making these sounds that I've never heard before. Um, and I'm, I've always been into the like more ethereal type of music and the way Johnny plays guitar on that record is just so washy and lush and, um, yeah, it just like took me to another place. Okay. Were, were you uh, playing drums at that point? Then you said that was when you were about 10. Yeah. So that was right when I started. Um, I think, yeah, it was fifth grade and, um, I had like a band class, um, that I, I ended up playing snare drum in, um, and was just like really enthusiastic about just a snare drum. (laughs) I think my parents saw like, okay, he's actually excited about playing a snare drum and no one gets excited about playing a snare drum. Um, and then from that point I was just kind of, banging on pots and pans and whatever I could like make shift into a drum set until my parents, uh, finally gave in and got me my first, uh, we'll, we'll do air quotes on real drum set. Mm-hmm. Well, how, but, yeah. how old were you when that happened then when they got you the, the quote unquote real drum set? It was probably the next year. I think I was 11 or so. And, and I assume that was like just in your room or in your basement or something. That was, yeah, was played in my that? bedroom. Well, yeah. what was that like for your family then? Because that's always a huge, you know, deal for the parents. They're like, we're buying our child a drum set. It's basically like we're going to allow this incredible noise to be coming <laughs> to, to permeate our house for the next, you know, as long as he's interested in it. So what was, like, yeah. could you just tell me about that? Like what their reaction was to it? And Oh, man, man, my parents, like in my family, my brother and sister were so generous with me as far as like being patient and allowing me to make that sort of noise in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and when I was older, even I, I like had bought my, my first, I'd saved up and bought my, my first like amazing drum kit that I actually still, still own and use quite a lot. But I, I had that set up in our living room. So it was like, you know, there's no getting away from that. Like when I was in my bedroom, it was like, you could, you know, you put like pillows on the drums or towels and shut the door and it, it doesn't make an insane amount of noise necessarily. Um, but yeah, like I would come home and when I was in high school, I kind of had this like golden hour where I would get home like an hour before my younger sister and my older brother was, off at college and my parents were still at work. So I like had the house to myself for about an hour and I could just kind of like wail on everything during that hour, and uh, ignore what my drum teacher was asking me to study uh-huh. <laughs> and instead play like along to thrice. And, you know, like all those bands that I just absolutely loved, uh, in high school. Um, so, yeah. Well, why do you think you gravitated towards drums and and why, you know, why'd you end up playing drums and not guitar or something else? That's a good question. I, I wish I knew, uh, there's just something in my DNA, like programmed to rhythm. I, 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 my wife, my wife is so fun. Like I, if we're holding hands or something, I'm like constantly tapping my fingers like against her palm or <laughs> there's a, just like always, always making rhythms. I've, and I've always been that way. Um, yeah, there's just, I remember seeing, um, the drummer at our church. We went to, well, I think you're familiar with Oak point church. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was where I, I, I first met you actually was at Oak point. That's right. Yeah. So it's like non-denominational sort of modern worship church. And the drummer that I saw there again, when I was like maybe even younger, nine, eight or nine, um, like I just was, I couldn't stop watching the drummer. It was just fascinating. Um, yeah, there's just always been something innate in me that just is like driven to that. I don't even know if I could explain it. Well, when did you, cause you got your first, your parents got you your first drum set when you were around 11, it sounded like. And, and when did you first like know you wanted to do it for a living? And, and, and on top of that, attached to that question, when did you realize you were capable of doing it for a living? Um, I all, I mean, I always wanted to do it, uh, from my, from my job. Like 
as soon as I knew that I had to get, you know, like had an awareness of, of getting a job and like being an adult, I was like, okay, cool. I will, I will be a musician. I will be a drummer and I will tour the country and that's just what I'll do. Um, so I kind of have had no other aspirations or goals in my life, which is probably why I've made it happen a little bit. I think in order to make it, especially nowadays that there's really no money in the music industry. Like if, if you kind of have a backup plan, you're going to fall on your backup plan because there's just way too many obstacles to, to stick with it. If you're not like totally dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think I realized I could really make it, um, when probably in, in college, um, I started playing, I went to school in, in Chicago and started playing with an artist there, uh, whose name is Andrew Bell. And he's still, still a musician, still, um, got an artist career and stuff like that. But, uh, we, we would like do tours kind of on the weekends. And when I had breaks at school, um, and that was in my junior year of college that we really like kind of started touring full time and making it a, you know, sort of more of a job. And, um, I remember my, my Christmas break, uh, junior year of college, um, him kind of calling and be like, Hey, you know, we're, we've got all these dates on the books. Uh, we, we got asked to do some tours and it looks like we're going to be gone most of this year. And I don't think you could probably stay in college and play drums for me. So is this something you want to do full time or do you, would you rather, you know, kind of stay at college? And I was like, Oh no, I I will absolutely drop out of school tomorrow. Like that is not a question. (laughs) Uh, So I dropped out of school, um, which my parents were like, so supportive of, they were like, Oh yeah, you, you, if this is an opportunity that you want, like you'll, you'll make it happen. It'll be great. We believe in you go do that. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, so yeah, I think that, that first tour, you know, I was making money playing drums and kind of saw how the business side of it works. You know, like my first, my first artist I played with, who had like a management company, and a you know, booking company. And there were just other people working for him and we were making money. So it was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is actually a doable thing. People <laughs> have this as a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, backing up a little bit, cause when, like I said, when, when I first met you, you were, uh, it was at Oak point church. And I remember you played in the church band, uh, for, for a number of years. Um, and, uh, actually the first band that I ever saw you with just like out on the scene was with a, a guy named Luke Shyrock, whose family owns Oak point, Oak point church. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it was the band originally, I think was just called Luke. And then it, it changed, you guys changed your name to Atchison, uh, later on. Could you talk about uh, your years with, with him and, and, and that experience? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Luke was, uh, I met him in, in the youth group band, um, Luke Shyrock and he is, he's just a creative genius. Um, one of the most talented people I've ever met in my life to this day, he just, uh, is one of the best piano players I know, one of the best guitar players I know, uh, an incredible singer, amazing songwriter. Um, and now he's a film writer and film director, which is insane. Uh, but yeah, so he, he and I kind of got to know each other and instantly became really close friends and, um, loved a lot of the same music, uh, and, and just, kind of instantly noticed that we had some creative chemistry um, and started writing songs together and uh, making records and playing shows and did the whole thing. Um, but yeah, we, we had a blast doing those, like that high school band was kind of the best looking back on it now. Really, really proud of that time. And it's funny, like, you know, being, um, in Nashville, kind of everybody plays music and all the artists that I've played with, uh, every once in a while, we'll have like a throwback day on the bus or something, you know, where everyone's playing like what the, you know, the bands that they were in in high school and stuff. (laughs) It's like actually amazing. Like Luke's music still holds up. Like people are like, Oh wait, this is kind of good. Like (laughs) I would still listen to this. And I'm like, yeah, Luke is just, he, he knows what he's doing. He always has. He's just, 
He had an insane talent. Yeah, he was such a character. I remember the first time because he would throw these parties at his and his parents. I think it was their barn or garage or something, and uh, have yeah. all these local shows. And I remember this the very first time I saw him play. He had hair that was his hair was just legendary at the time. It was like if I could describe it, it was kind of like a cross between like a Super Saiyan and Marge Simpson, and it was so it stuck straight <laughs> up and it was pink. And he would compare it to uh, the Yu Gi Oh guy. And I remember. Uh, he did a, a a song um called I am so happy and about halfway through the song he throws his guitar down goes and grabs this flag that had been made out of a broom handle and a child's blanket and starts waving it around and running around throughout the crowd and I was like well I'll never oh, forget man. this and that was you know I mean that was like 12 15 years ago now so here we are <laughs> Um, but yeah, and I will say, yeah. uh, that you said the music still holds up today. There, there was a song you guys did when you were uh, called Atchison called Snapdragon. Um, and, uh, that yeah. song is still, I, if I, I don't know if you could still get it anywhere. I don't know if it's on iTunes or anything, but if you Google it, if there's some way you can hear the song Snapdragon by Atchison, I highly recommend listening to that. Cause there is, there is a little drop in that song where it's, it's like this, uh, stylized voice of this guy going, how you doing? And that alone <laughs> makes the song. The rest of the song is good, but uh, <laughs> you will remember the song for that little line. So, um, yeah, 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 that was a hooky cookie right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty much your high school years, though. Is with uh, is with Luke, right? That was kind of your, your your high school uh, experience. I, did you play with anybody else in that time, or was it pretty much just Luke? Yeah, I uh, I played with some other other bands and stuff um there's a band called apollo that i played with for a little while i actually played guitar in that band and then oh, that's right yeah um yeah Tabor. yeah uh, tabe harold yeah i, I forgot project. that you played with them that's right I, I completely forgot about that i remember them now that would have been 2007 i think somewhere in there yeah 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 i graduated in 07 so i think it was like yeah maybe 2005 2006 mm-hmm uh, but then, so uh, but, af- after you graduated, um, did you did you go right to Chicago or and uh, start playing with Andrew Bell, or uh, was there more in between there? Yeah, I moved uh, moved straight to Chicago from uh, graduating high school. Okay, and then how did you meet uh, Andrew Bell? Uh, I met Andrew um, through a piano player named John Guerra, uh, who also has an artist project now, which is unbelievable he's insanely talented and you should check him out if, if you're listening to this um but yeah john Guerra. uh he, he was playing um piano for a, a college um called moody bible institute and i was i got asked to like play drums for some of their worship services and just got to know john uh through that whole process and he and i stayed real good friends and he ended up he was he was the guy who knew Andrew. He was my connection there, and he he played keys on Andrew's record and uh, sent me a text when uh, Andrew started playing shows, and he was like, "Hey man, this is my friend Drew. Uh, you guys should meet, maybe start playing music together." And um, and that was kind of that. But like, funny enough, John uh, he only played like I'm trying to remember. It was probably only four or five shows with us, and then. Uh, his project that he had got so busy that he had to bow out. But uh, yeah, ever and then I I played with Drew for gosh like seven years something like that. It was it's it's been a while. Yeah, I, I remember. Right, more like four or five years. Okay, but, so that was he the one that you played with the longest out of anyone in your career so far? Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. And uh, did you? Because you were living in Chicago when you started with him. When did you move to Nashville? Were you still playing with Andrew Bell at that point, or had you parted ways with him? Yeah, so I'm. I actually moved with Andrew uh, from Chicago to Nashville in 2010, um, January 2010. Yeah, his he was a part of this thing called Ten Out of Ten, um, like a songwriter collective thing out of Nashville. Um, so he moved down here to do that and. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. So, well, uh, when did you part ways with, uh, with Andrew then? And just tell me about how that went and, and, you know, the, the reasons for it. So we're, we're still, um, 
on good terms and everything. He <clears throat> he's actually touring right now. Um, and I was, uh, <clears throat> I'm kind of like his, I don't know, I guess you would say like first call guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of in the, in the roster for him. Uh, unfortunately I couldn't tour with him this year cause I've just got too much other stuff going on. Um, but yeah, we'll still, we'll still play together whenever we both have time or, you know, stars align. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did moving to Nashville change you? What was the, cause moving to Nashville is like a huge step for any musician because it's so, like you said, everybody plays music. So you don't move there unless you have a plan or you already have connections or something. Um, so could you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, I think meeting a ton of people who do the same thing as you, especially creatively, it just kind of makes you realize that your talent or gift or whatever you want to call it isn't so precious. Um, and that's a really great thing to learn because it kind of, it kind of instills a lot of um, confidence without pride, if that makes sense. <clears throat> it's just like, yeah, I do this thing. A lot of other people do it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's what I do for a living, but it's not necessarily my life. Um, so I think, I think my identity was up till that point was in the fact that I was a drummer and the fact that I was like, you know, making music and touring and whatever. And then when I met all like that and basically an entire city that does that too, I was like, Oh, there's more to life. You know, I don't, (laughs) if I, uh, you know, miss a gig or whatever, it's not, not the end of the world. And, um, yeah, it kind of just freed me up to. honestly enjoy what I do for a living a little bit more. Um, But that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned since moving here. Most life changing. All right. Um, After you, uh, you stopped playing regularly with Andrew, who, who did you, who was your next big client? Who did you, who did you hook up with? Your Uh, your next regular client, I should say. Probably. Uh, Cannon Blue was maybe the next kind of big band. Um, yeah, we uh, did some touring with uh, open opening for Mute Math and um, some other like big bands. Uh, but I think that was probably the next step from there. Okay, and then you just kind of you just kind of immersed yourself in the Nashville scene after that, right? Like you just started going around and, and making a name for yourself and, and, uh, and playing with different people. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've probably played with close to a hundred different artists at this point. Um, so it's, it's, it's honestly a little bit hard to remember like all of the, the in between steps you take to meeting other artists and stuff. Well, when did you start playing for love drug then? Uh, that was maybe two and a half years ago, three years ago. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. And, uh, could you just tell us about how that came about? Yeah. Um, so my friend Wes, uh, he's a guitar player. We, we played in a band called Trenton together. Um, he started playing for love drug and they were looking for a new drummer. Uh, and so he gave me a call. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, my, my throat's got, got a little bit of a bug in it. Oh, that's okay. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he, he gave me a call and asked if I wanted to play some shows. Uh, so we ended up doing like their release show for the record notions. Um, did like a music video and a handful of local shows and things like that, supporting that record. Um, but I was never, I never joined as like a band member per se. I was more of like a hired gun for them. Oh, okay. And how long were you, were you with Love Drug then? Uh, it was short, maybe a couple months. Oh, okay. Okay. The reason yeah. I bring that up is because like you said, there were so many, after you moved to Nashville, you said like you've played with over a hundred different artists, uh, or groups since you, since then. And, um, Love Drug is one of my favorite, favorite bands. And, um, 
excuse me. And I remember seeing because I knew who they were uh, back in in college, which would have been 2005 when they put out their first record. And uh, a couple of years ago, I was looking at their Facebook page or something, and I'm like, that looks like Graham. And I, I knew that you had moved to Nashville, and I'm like, there's no way that's actually – and I looked it up, and sure enough, Graham Beckler, there is. I'm like, so, well, I'll be goddamn. Um, so, anyway, that's why I brought that up specifically out of the, the you know, countless other artists that you've you've played with. Um, but uh, For sure, yeah. And it, it was like – that was a kind of a pinch myself moment, too, because I had loved their music so much in high school and through college. That record, Pretend You're Alive, was like – one of my favorite uh, records of all time. So getting to play some of those songs live was like kind of a dream come true, you know? Yeah. Tell me about like another uh, sort of moment where you, another pinch me moment, like you said, you know, another artist that you've played for where you're kind of like, I can't believe that I'm actually doing this. Yeah. Um, there's an artist called Alan Stone and like a funk uh, soul guy. Um, he's, he's really incredible. Some, some really fun songs to play on the drums. Um, there's an artist named Brooke Wagner. She's insanely talented. Um, guy named Matt Wirtz. Oh Uh, yeah. Yeah. Carolina. The song Carolina by him is, is a, is a good one. Yeah. That was, that was one of his like hits quote unquote. Um, Cannon Blue, which is another band I already mentioned. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, a project um, by this guy uh, Dan Brigham. It's like his band, um, but he makes some of the most compelling music I've ever heard. It's endlessly interesting. He made it um, made it the record that I uh, toured with uh, with him called Rumspringa in Iceland um, with at, at the the studio of the band Sigur Rós. Um, and like had some of the string players play on his record and it was just like music that I absolutely loved. I mean, every night was just like, Oh yes, I get to play these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't necessarily like the most, uh, successful on paper project I've ever played, but, uh, musically it was like some of the most, um, some of the most enjoyable songs for me. It's just such cool music. Well, since you brought it up, what what is the would you say is the biggest successful on paper uh, uh, band or artist that you've played with? Um, probably the guy I'm I'm out with right now. His name is Russell Dickerson. Um, he's like a country pop country kind of guy, right? And you just you've been playing like you were on Kimmel last month, I believe, Jimmy Kimmel, and and a couple other talk shows, right? Yeah, we've done Kimmel, a couple of like morning shows. We're doing Good Morning America uh, next week or two weeks from now, something like that. Um, yeah, he's got, he's got like a number one hit. He's single, went platinum a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, we're we actually just got back uh, from Australia yesterday with him. Which I think is why my throat is like all sore because I'm like trying to recover from. A pretty intense uh case of jet lag uh-huh. yeah we were like uh, i guess 16 or 17 hours ahead of where i am right now uh so we were flying backwards in time back to nashville so yesterday was like almost a 40 hour long day it was oh my God. <laughs> such a bizarre thing to experience uh well how did you get uh hooked up with russell dickerson uh, so Russell, I met through a bass player named Kevin Whitsett. Um, and I had, I, I, uh, produce records from time to time. And, um, <clears throat> I was producing a record for a girl named Aaron Ray, which is a band called the Meanwhiles. Um, and <clears throat> I needed a bass player for the record. And I had, uh, I played with Kevin at a, a church and just really was impressed by, is playing um, very tasteful and uh, just plays what's great for the for the song. You know, always serves the song. And he actually, Kevin actually played in the band Shy Rock, which is Luke's older brother Chuck's band. Right. Um, I don't know if you ever saw them in Detroit or anything like that, but uh, so I, anyway, I, I knew him and hired him to play 
on this record. And um, anyway, we played with that artist for a little while and then he started playing with Russell and uh, they had already had a drummer at that time and that drummer ended up leaving. Um, and when he left, Kevin gave me a call and he was like, Hey man, this guy Russell's looking for a drummer. Would you be interested in uh, hopping on the gig and, you know, maybe doing some touring and things like that. So uh, that was in, uh, December of 2016. Um, so I've been with him for a little over a year now. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I met Russell at the first day of rehearsals. Um, as well as I, I was kind of the, the very new guy to the camp. I didn't know anybody, uh, in management or at the label or anything like that. Um, so it was, uh, a very, uh, kind of overwhelming experience just cause I, you know, you sort of set up camp, um, doing what you do with a bunch of artists that, you know, really well, and you get to know their whole team and you just kind of work in that circle for a long time. And, uh, this was kind of the first time in a while where it was like, Oh, I don't know anybody <laughs> on this whole crew. And it's just, you know, it takes a minute to find your bearings, um, especially in, like changing genres like that. Like this is the first, well, not the first, but um, one of the first country artists that I've ever played for. So uh, it was also just a little bit of, uh, you know, clash of cultures, mm-hmm. <laughs> learning how to like, you know, what's cool in country world and what, what do you wear to country shows and uh, you know, things like that. Uh, do you have anything going on? You said this year you, you're you're super busy. Um, are you just with Russell this year, or you have other things going on? So yeah, Russell's um, kind of my full time touring uh, gig. Um, so yeah, we'll be we'll be out um, all year. Uh, uh, we're opening for Lady Annabellum, um, I think, all summer. Darius Rucker, and then fall we'll be out with Darius Rucker uh doing uh kind of like UK Europe shows and stuff like that um so that keeps me fairly busy I'm I'm gone probably three or four days a week uh country music is kind of interesting in that you don't really do super long tours um you sort of do a lot of small tours so we uh we kind of have bus call it like maybe midnight on Wednesday or Thursday. And then we'll play either Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then travel back home to Nashville, have a couple of days off and then do the same thing. And that's usually every weekend. Um, or, you know, occasionally like this weekend, they'll fly us to Australia or, uh, UK somewhere, things like that. Um, but other than that, I'll be, my wife and I have a band. Um, her, her artist project is called good scout. Um, so I like sort of produce all of her music and, um, we have a little studio at our house where we kind of make all the records and, um, yeah, that's, that's been really fun. It's she and I, uh, have a very similar musical background. So we geek out about the same records and getting to, uh, make music with her is, just some of the most fun <laughs> uh, I've ever had. Cause we, we just like get it, you know, there's a musical intuition that just is there. And um, it's really fun just making music that we both love and get really excited about. And um, so, yeah, I do that uh, when I'm home and play on other people's records. And I've, like I said, I've got a studio here, so I'll, I'll have people kind of from all over the country ship me, tracks that I'll play drums on and send them back and, um, doing that whole thing. Well, well I have two questions. What first one uh, is, uh, wh- how did you meet your wife? Thanks. I wasn't going to ask you about that, but now that you brought up that you make music with her and we played, uh, the song that we played in the intro to the show is a song by good scout called holiday fair. Um, so uh, yeah. just tell us how you met your wife and how you guys, uh, you know, started playing and all that. Yeah. Um, so she, uh, she was actually, uh, dating again, using air quotes, uh, the bass player for Andrew Bell, um, oh. when, uh, who was my roommate when I first moved to Nashville. 
And um, we had just gotten back from a sort of long tour. It was like eight weeks or something. And um, they had kind of like broken up, a pseudo broken up, like over the phone during the tour. And anyway, she came over one night to like finalize the breakup and happened to walk in and get a glass of water in the kitchen where I was doing dishes. And, uh, I just, well, actually her exact words were when she walked, when she walked in, she was like, Hey, are you making bacon? And I was like, <laughs> that's random. <laughs> that's really funny. No, I'm not. I should be, but I'm still cleaning dishes. Um, and then, uh, but anyway, so she broke up with my roommate. Uh, I didn't see her for a while. Um, and, and then we uh, ended up having some mutual friends and, uh, a couple of weeks later I saw her at a party and, um, we just got to talking and it was kind of awkward, you know, cause it was like, okay, you just broke up with my roommate. I don't know if I should be nice to you or mean to you or like, you know, sort of like, uh, sort of tense there. But anyway, we ended up becoming really good friends and, um, I, uh, she and I played in a couple of bands together. She's a guitar player and a singer. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, we just ended up like making music together a lot. And, um, a year later we, we actually started dating and then, uh, the rest is history. How long have you been married now? Uh, just over five years. All righty then. Um, well, congratulations yeah. on that. Uh, cause I didn't know you were married. Um, so congratulations yeah. to, on that. Uh, and, um, my, my last question before we get into the whole whining thing, uh, is what is the one thing that is, that has surprised you the most about being a musician for a living that you weren't aware of before you actually, you know, became a musician just about the business and all that kind of oh. stuff. Uh, oh man, that's a good question. Um, probably how boring it is. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> uh, wait, can I hear what you were expecting? I was, uh, I thought usually when I ask that it's, it's more about like, Oh, you know, like, like not, not, not boring. Like, Oh, how, how, uh, how much, how, how much networking I need to do in order to, to, to stay busy or, or how much, uh, you know, like just basically how busy I need to keep myself. Um, so that's kind yeah, of the opposite okay. of boring. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, expand <laughs> yeah, on that, no, man. I, I kind of like your answer a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll, I'll touch really quick on like why it's boring. Um, so when you get to like the, I don't even know what to say, like quote unquote, big leagues, <laughs> you know, of like touring, you're on a bus. And so like, you know, you sleep while you travel, you wake up in a new town and you, you, you know, you have sound check at like five or so. And then, but that's it. That's kind of, so you have like all day to do whatever. Um, but it's funny, like when you get to being like an artist or being playing for an artist who's doing arenas and things like that, you know, like it's not super glamorous per se you know i mean you're like your your green room is a locker room so it's like cool I, i'm not gonna really hang out there you know or like your bus i mean it's just uh you know living room on wheels it's not you know particularly like exciting or anything you know um so that's kind of why i say it's boring it's just like <laughs> you just sort of wake up do sound check do whatever and then play a show which is really great the show part is amazing but that's only an hour of your day you mm -hmm. know um especially and even even more so in van tours like you're you know in a van for six or eight hours a day and playing only an hour so that that that's really tough but uh luckily i i don't have to do much of that anymore but and like when you're coming up the ranks that that really is uh, like a hard job um but i will say like to your point uh it was surprising how many uh, uh well you put it in networking how much networking you have to do like it's insane i mean like i've said i've played with close to 100 artists at this point and um you know some of them have have 
been very successful. But as a musician, like, you know, you're not getting royalty checks or anything. So if you're not playing, you're not making money, really. Um, and it's it's kind of crazy. Like, I just expected, you know, I'll play in, you know, maybe 10 or 15 bands, and one of those will take off, and it'll be like a full-time thing where you just make oodles of money and buy a house, and that'll be it, right? But, like, <laughs> it's crazy, you know. You start playing for 10 and then 20 and then 30 and 40 artists and it's like, oh, maybe, maybe being a full-time musician is all about sort of diversifying, uh, you know, who you play for. And it's just about keeping busy rather than, uh, you know, finding one gig that's going to make you a million dollars. A friend of mine puts it as uh, instead of, instead of uh, selling a million for one, you are selling one for a million. It's what like the goal sort of is, you know, you try to try to find uh, something that can keep you busy for, um, for a while. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, and it's different for artists, obviously, but uh, as far as like players like myself go, um, that was, that was really surprising. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And it, and it kind of comes back to what you were saying about how boring it is. Cause once you hit a certain level, like you, you grind it out for however many years it takes to get to the point where you, you have so many contacts that you have, you don't have to worry about somebody calling you. And that works for pretty much every industry too. It's like, like my dad's a photographer and he eked it out for, uh, I mean, for the nineties basically, but then there was a point where he didn't, he had so many clients that he didn't have to worry about, uh, worrying about whether or not somebody was going to call him, you know, he, he was just sort of like, well, I can pick totally. and choose now. So, and it's kind of that, that's how it goes. You, you grind it out for, you pay your dues for however many number of years it takes to do that. And, uh, and then at some point you realize you can just coast for a while. I mean, not coast yeah. in the sense that you're not trying anymore, but you don't have to worry about getting your name out there. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I've been here for, uh, eight years now. So I'm like kind of coming up on that place where, I'm I'm getting a little bit comfy, you know, like people, I, I enough people know who I am that I'm getting calls pretty consistently and don't really like have to market myself, uh, like I used to. Um, but yeah, you know, you like, like you, like I was saying, you kind of, you play you, like Idaho and Ohio and, you know, 30 odd times and it's like, okay, <laughs> maybe I, I'm not so excited about going back to, you know, Sioux Falls or whatever, <laughs> or, you know, Columbus or something uh-huh. you know, like those places are only fun so many times. Um, but well, yeah, Ohio is never like, fun. Let's wait. be honest. Ohio is never fun. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, you know, you learn to like make, make, uh, make yourself busy and, and the, the band that you're with. So Russell's band are some of my like really close friends and we always have, <clears throat> a really great time together. So I've got a lot to be thankful for, uh, in terms of that. Cause I've definitely been in bands where the, the friendship dynamic isn't totally there. And that is just miserable. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm very thankful to be in this crew that I'm with right now. Well, good deal, man. Um, so, uh, we got about, uh, 10 minutes left here. So, um, what do you want to whine about Graham Beckler? <laughs> uh, I've been, dying for somebody to ask me that question. Let me tell you. Um, (laughs) no, I, so uh, before, um, before I answer that, I, I just, uh, so when you asked me to do this podcast, I listened to do, or I listened, um, to a handful of the other episodes and I, I thought it was interesting that when people, when you ask the question, people's answers are often prefaced by, you know, like, uh, they, they kind of, delegitimize what they're about to whine about by saying like, you know, I, I have a fine, like I'm okay. I have a good life. I don't have that much to complain about, right. but if I have to whine about something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just thought that was kind of funny. And then when I was thinking about, well, what do I want about? I, I found myself doing the exact same thing and making the same excuse of like, well, you know, I, I, I really shouldn't whine and I shouldn't <laughs> complain or, you know, whatever. But I think it's funny that we do that because at a certain point, I sort of think that pain is pain is pain is pain. And if like shaming certain pain isn't necessarily like putting any uh, hold over it or like 
control over it. I think we just sort of shove it down our throats a little bit more and make it harder to actually realize. But anyway, I just had some quick thoughts on. (laughs) on Dude, I got to say that that is, that is like the most profound answer I've had to, to the question so far. So thank you. That was, that is like, and you're totally, that's totally true where everybody's like, well, you know, cause it's all, everything is a first world problem, right? You know, where, where we live. Cause it's like, well, we have jobs. We're able to make a living. We're, we're supporting ourselves. Some of, a lot of us are, are supporting ourselves doing things that we love doing. So it's like, it seems like I, I almost wonder if it's almost like a, uh, you don't want to jinx it. You know, it's like if I complain about this, this freaking you know, trivial thing or whatever, then, then, you know, then I might end up having really having something to whine about at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's it. Um, yeah, it's just like sort of a funny thing that we do. Um, but yeah, anyway, so, so I guess I'm not going to make I'm not going to say anything before this. I think traveling by airplane is so annoying. <laughs> That's what I want to complain about. Okay, have that. Because, well, I've been, like I mentioned earlier, I was traveling, I, I flew from Nashville to New York to London, England, to China, to Australia, and then back to Nashville in the last two weeks. So I spent like probably a good 40 or 50 hours or so in airports and just traveling. And People, first of all, are horrible. I'm convinced. Like, if if you are one of those people who thinks that like the nature of human human like human nature is good, just travel for a little while in airports. <laughs> it's just horrible. People are like just unkind and rude and smelly and all kinds of awful. Um, especially when you're just sitting on an airplane for you know like. My last flight was like 14 hours long, you know? Oh my Lord. Oh, it's just so awful. You you sat next to this complete stranger. And unfortunately for me, the stranger that I was sitting next to happened to be very large. And it's like, (laughs) you know, I, I get like, I don't, I would never like shame you for that, but at a certain, like you're just taking up so much precious real estate (laughs) at this point, you know, like I just want some room to breathe a little bit. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I want to complain about. I freaking hate traveling by airplane and airports in general. It's a mess. Well, that that's so funny because um like I don't fly a whole lot. In fact, I don't fly hardly at all. Um but uh I I had a guest on at the end of uh J- January and he was he's another touring musician um and he uh he had just flown to New Zealand and this was his topic too. Oh. Uh <laughs> he was just I- like being crammed into this metal tube 30,000 feet over the earth, you know, with, with all these strangers and, and like, it, it really does seem like it just brings out the worst in everybody. So I'm actually kind of glad that I don't fly. I, I would much rather drive places. Driving is very freeing to me. Um, and, oh, uh, and, and I don't like heights anyway. So there you go. Oh man. Yeah. You and I are kindred spirits on that, man. I, <laughs> that's, that's so funny that you had a guest that <laughs> complained about the same thing. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's we, it we must, get a lot of the same topics. It. it does. And and we get a lot of the same topics on this show. It's you know, when you ask people what you want to whine about, it's usually but you know, a lot of people have the same. We get a lot of traffic, we get a lot of Trump nowadays. Uh and uh, and, yeah. and now this is the second uh, airplane uh, uh whining topic that we've had. Um but uh yeah, no, I don't think that that's and getting to what you said originally about, you know, people sort of are like, "Oh, I want to delegitimize this." And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a marvel of of innovation that we're even able to do that as as a as a species to fly, you know. But then it it really does oh, suck yeah. when you're crammed into like I can't I've never even really had that experience, but there's been enough movies, you know, uh that depict it where you're you're stuck on a flight next to this fat person. And by the way, you're you're flying coach, aren't you? I would assume because I don't think first oh, class yeah. is nearly as uh as bad as what you're describing. Yeah, oh man. And that's well that's the other thing that's so horrible about it is you have to walk by first class to get to your seat. So it just is like ramming the message of how invaluable you are to society the entire walk back to your your seat uh, well so that's that's really interesting man and, and the fact that you do it as much as you you do like you said 40 to 50 hours you know in the past couple of weeks or whatever um not just in the air but in the airport 
uh, which I imagine, yeah. and I imagine flying internationally is a, is a completely different kettle of fish. Like that must be a real, uh, a real pain oh, in the gosh. ass. Only when you get to America, everywhere else, everywhere else is fine. But when you get to America, it's just, everybody is having a bad day and mm-hmm. no one wants to help you. And if you forget the smallest thing, they treat you like an absolute idiot. It's horrible. Uh, like, do, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Going through customs and all that stuff. It's a nightmare. Do you have to take, are you taking your own gear on these flights too? Uh, some of it. Um, most of it is rented. Like I don't have to take drums or anything like that. Um, so I, I travel with like my stick bag and a drum machine that is sort of, you know, like particular to our set. And then, um, just like some other, uh, like odds and ends. Um, but nothing, nothing too massive. Although, the guys in the band travel with their guitars and uh, bass, and it's just it's another level for them too because they get so much crap for trying to bring those things on airplanes. Oh yeah! Oh man, they really have something to whine about. Yeah, definitely. I can I, I can only imagine the, the the TSA agents probably take one look at those cases and they're like, put them through the machine five times. I still don't believe oh, there's yeah. nothing in there. You know that isn't going to hurt anybody. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, man. Well, we're uh, we're about at the end here, so I'm going to start wrapping this up. Uh, but uh, Graham, thanks so much for coming on, man. I I messaged you. I want to say at the beginning of February, and you got right back to me. So I, I really appreciate that, man. It's been great talking. Yeah. To you. Um, I haven't Dude, seen I, you I, in in like I I don't even know the last time I saw you it was it was probably 12 years ago at least. Um, and yeah. I I always said like I remember watching you with Luke and and just knowing who you were through the scene and all that, and I was like, man, if if there's there were a couple of guys that I was like, if these guys continue on this path, like they will end up doing it for a living. But you, and you were definitely one of those guys. So it's nice to see that it does, it does happen to people. Like if you, like you said, if you didn't have a backup plan, you just went full, full force into this, uh, into this dream of yours. And, and here you are, man. So it's, it's really, it's really good to see, um, seeing you post oh, about thanks, playing man. on. Yeah, no, no problem, dude. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's That's it, really kind. Yeah. Well, um, you know, you deserve it. You, you busted your ass for, you know, you know, I mean, fricking, I mean, 10, eight years in Nashville and then, you know, a good five, six years before yeah. then. So, um, it's, oh, yeah. it's good to see that that work can pay off still in this country. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, dude, it's been really great talking to you. Thanks for, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your story with us and, and, uh, bitching about airplanes and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, like I said, uh, hang on the line and I will give you a proper goodbye after we're off the air here. Uh, but for the audience, um, thanks so much for listening to us. I will be back uh, next Wednesday with uh, a- another guest, and um, I will actually also be on next Monday with Motor City Music Society. Uh, I don't think we're doing that live. We'll, we'll be doing a Facebook Live segment, but then that episode will also be posted um, at some point uh, that week. Um, so everybody have a great week, and uh, I will uh, see you all next Wednesday. <laughs>